Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. It is almost Memorial Day here in New England, and it's a balmy 48 degrees. Uh, it'll be a week, and it'll be 100 every single day. That's, uh, that's climate change. But uh, there's no better way to spend this uh, cold day than to talk insurtech and fintech and to talk to someone that I follow closely on social media. I would like to introduce Karen Gava. Uh, Karen is a uh, fintech and insurtech uh, product executive, and she's also a mentor at the Hartford InsurTech Hub, the startup hub. And uh, Karen is dialing in from Israel. Karen, good morning, yeah, exactly. or good afternoon, or good evening. <laughs> it's actually good afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm, well, I'm, hi. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming your weather is a lot better than mine. Well, we're experiencing a, a heat wave here in Tel Aviv, so uh, my weather is not necessarily that good. <laughs> I prefer the winter, to be honest. Oh, okay. Well, let's switch, <laughs> and then we'll and then we'll redo this. Uh, yeah. It's it's a pleasure to have you on uh, today to talk about insure tech and fintech and to get your perspective on it. Um, I always start off by uh, trying to give uh, my guests a little bit of uh, a platform to kind of talk about where, how they got to this point. So do you want to talk about your background and how you arrived at InsureTech and FinTech? Yeah, sure. So um, basically, I came from the high-tech industry. I was a product manager, a software product manager for 10 years. And um, I was a freelance product manager for a while, and I was a consultant to a project that wanted to create a uh, digital insurer here in Israel that mm -hmm. wanted to sell life insurance. And uh, in order to do that, I joined uh, forces with someone that had an uh, insurance agency in Tel Aviv. And he said, well, I'll learn insurance. Come on, office. It was me. And I'll teach you everything that there is to, to know about insurance. And I did that. And did that for six months. We went through all the products, all the policies, um, back office procedures, claims, everything. At the end of those six months, I knew that I loved this uh, domain and I really love insurance. I find it to be super interesting. And my next step was to join a startup that uh, provided machine learning capabilities to insurers in the uh, in the American industry, in the American uh, market, and uh, I loved it. I mean, then you know, when I first started out, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, and I joined the INS Nerds uh, community, the Slack community. It was amazing. I got to meet a lot of really interesting people in the industry. I learned a lot from it, and um, now I actually I didn't leave the insurtech space. I actually decided to expand my knowledge a little bit, and I joined a large bank here in Israel. And I'm actually leading the technological innovation here, and it's uh, it's interesting for me because um, basically banking is a lot 
more advanced in, when we talk about innovation than the insurance industry. And for me, it's, it's really interesting because I get to see what will happen with insurance and at least get what will happen with insurance industry in a few years and how InsurTech could impact the industry. Because you see what's going on in banking. It's a, it's a whole different story. And um, so I'm super excited. I'm learning a lot. And, um, and that's it. Yeah, well, I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. What, what's so advanced? What, uh, from the fintech perspective, w- what sort of barriers have they been able to jump over that the insurance industry is still stuck on? Well, look at the insurance industry at the moment. We're uh, digitizing a lot of the processes. We sell the same product offering. We don't really innovate. We do innovate a little bit, but it's not something that you can say that is um, disruptive. It's uh, more of a niche. For example, look at uh, insurance on demand, micro insurance being sold um, over uh, in, in you know uh, seller apps, buy seller apps, or um, you know, it, it's nice, but it's not the mainstream. However, look at banking. In banking, they didn't really just digitize the process. They also changed the game. They changed the products themselves. At least in the Israeli industry, there are products that did not exist 10 years ago in uh, in banking. Um, You are able to take a loan by just clicking a few buttons. You are able to uh, pay someone with an app through uh, with the bank being provided by your bank through your phone. This wasn't um, this wasn't around ten years ago, five years ago even. And I think that this will happen with the insurance space as well. Right now, we're in the first step. The first step is digitizing what we already have. But the second step will be to look at things from the customer perspective. At least what I think. And the customer perspective, meaning that we will probably provide products that more affordable, maybe, that are easily to understand, easy to understand. And maybe, um, you know, I don't know, maybe we will consume um, insurance in a different way. Yeah. So how much how much do you think the delay in the quote unquote disruption has to do with, you know, is it, is it a regulatory thing? Is it a product complexity thing? What, you know, cause you know, banks are as big as insurance companies. They probably have the same sort of muscle to be able to, you know, stymie things if they wanted to. What do you think, what do you think is the cause of the delay that uh, the banking and the lending industry has been able to kind of take off so much quicker? Well, I think that they didn't really pick off much quicker. They just started a little bit before insurance. Okay. And uh, they had more time to adjust to the idea of, of innovation and bringing technology in. But it's also about taking chances. I think that, you know, I... I met a lot of executives in the, at least the American industry, the insurance industry, and um, a lot of the discussions were around, listen, we can do this and that, 
um, we don't want to change who we already do. But we, if you can work around that, that would be great. And I think that kind of reflects how the industry is looking mm -hmm. at InsurTech at the moment. Mm -hmm. They don't want to disrupt what they're doing because they're afraid. They don't want to take chances, which is fine. And that's part of the reason that they collaborate more with their, uh, you know, the uh, traditional partners like um, consultancies that nowadays provide technology. But um, I think that once the insurance industry will take a leap of faith and uh, and try to change, not not to uh, adopt technology for in order to do what they already do, but in a in a different way, but actually provide something that's completely different, completely different product offerings, completely different communication with our customers, different engagement, even bringing additional value with uh, complementary services, for example, mm -hmm. then we will see changes, things that will change. This is something we've seen banking right now at the moment with, uh, you know, personal and uh, financial assistance, for example. And we will probably see it in the future in, in insurance. It's just, uh, you need someone brave on the other side. So what's in the water in Tel Aviv where there's been so much startup and entre entrepreneurial activity mm -hmm. in banking, in insurance? And I'm, and I'm talking not just what's happening in Tel Aviv, but that's being exported to the United States. Um, yeah. the, the, the founders of Lemonade have an Israeli background. I just recently interviewed Aviad Pinkovesky of Hippo. He's bringing... Yeah. He's bringing Israeli entrepreneurship to California. So uh, <laughs> what's, what's going on in Israel where there's just such a, you know, um, kind of like a incubator of entrepreneurs that are really focused on this, on these financial products and disruption in this area. Yep. Okay. So, um, yeah, so Israel is known to, it's fondly, referred to as the startup nation. We have some around 250 accelerators and have spread around the country. We have, at least according, according to what I've noticed so far in the last report that I've read, 8,000 startups, active startups at the moment. I think 800 of them are in the fintech industry and 150 of them are in the insurtech industry. Um, fascinating because from a very young age how to be innovative we teach them how to be entrepreneurial entrepreneurs we uh, encourage them from a very young age to create their own companies to have an idea and deliver it and, and uh, market it so can I ask I you about that Karen fun. yeah sure um, in in the in the United States I think people that are listening to this podcast would think of like um, a lemonade stand, you know, um, things like that. In Israel, what are what are some of the ways? I'm I'm really curious as to how parents in the the societal culture encourages young, um, you know, youngsters in Israel to become entrepreneurial. Is it is it similar to the United States? Is it as as easy as a lemonade stand? to you know, <laughs> learn how to do that? What are some of the things that they do in Israel that might be different than the States? Well, so in Israel, uh, 
having a lemonade stand might be a little complex because the weather here is horrible. And it, you don't want to stand outside uh, your house during uh, the heat waves of July and August. Maybe that's the best time uh, to sell. Yeah, maybe. Cold lemonade. <laughs> Definitely. If you can stand the heat, why not? Um, here we have programs for children uh, starting from, you know, the age of 11, teaching them how to build their own app, coding, actual coding, and how to market it. And they participate in, in um, different um, programs, different uh, com competitions around the world. It's very something that is, what I'm telling you right now, it's not something that unique. I mean, every school in Israel has that program. And uh, a lot of the children are being taught that in the army, they should join one of the top technological units because they know it will probably uh, build their future in the high-tech industry. You know, we have the, the high-tech dream here in, uh, in Israel. In, in the U.S., it's the American dream. Here, it's the high-tech dream. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the atmosphere here. Yeah. So, from, from your perspective, from your, you know, a cross-section of both InsureTech and FinTech, uh, who are the winners? You don't have to name names. You can name names if you want, but who are the winners in terms of like, how are they winning? What are the types of technologies? What are the types of business models? What's, what is the successful formula that you've seen? Um, it, you know, it, and it could be FinTech or InsureTech, but what's working and how should uh, startup entrepreneurs be thinking about what's been successful and what hasn't been successful? Well, um, in my opinion, I think that what will work at the end, and, and air quote regarding work, um, is those that will focus on the customer. You see a lot of the time entrepreneurs, um, you know, pitching their products, and they talk about the technology blockchain, AI, mm -hmm. and all those different technologies, they're great, but it's not about the technology. It's about what this, how this technology serves the customer. And I'm talking about not just the entrepreneurs, but also the insurers. An insurer that will know how, sorry, how to harness technology yep. to improve their, his customer engagement, he's going to be, that insurer is probably going to win the, the race. Okay. And the same goes for the founder of that startup that's going to be used. Um, because if it's a cool technology, but it doesn't really do anything, doesn't really improve um, the way the product offering is being served or the policy itself or the claim process or something that can actually improve the current state, then it's not worth the, the, the pen that you're using to sign the contract. Yeah. I, I see that a lot, Karen. I see a lot of uh, tech-enabled companies that form and they, you know, their decision is, hey, we have this tech. I bet the insurance industry could use this tech. And it's almost like the, the old hammer and nail 
uh, analogy. You know, they've built a hammer and all the, they just like searching for nails to knock it in instead of working backwards and trying to figure out, well, you know, what, what, what does the customer actually want? What, what is it, what is it that they desire? Um, how, yeah, definitely. It's, I, you know, to me, there's a, there's so much to like listening to the customer and actually, you, you know, you, you kept, you've kept reiterating, uh, thinking from the customer's perspective. How, how do we do that? Um, that, that's actually not an easy thing to do. And it's probably one thing that separates the winners and the losers is their ability to actually listen to the customers and work backwards from their problems. Um, but uh, you know, from what you've seen, what do, what do, you know, it seems like companies like Lemonade are successful at this. What do they do? How do you listen to the customer? What's the, what's the right approach in order to get the technology to be a tool versus the product itself? I love Lemonade because it's their product, their policy, it's no different than any other home policy, home insurance policy, to be honest. But why do I love Lemonade? Because they know how to talk to the customer. They can take a home insurance policy, simple one, and explain it in simple words. They, they are talking to the customer, you know, in a very, in, in the same way that a that a friend would talk to him. And mm -hmm. I think this is something very unique. I love the language that they use. I love the branding. And I think that it's, a lot of the time, insurance can be very discouraging. And looking at Lemonade and the way they branded themselves, I think that people are happy to purchase a Lemonade policy. Um, I think that very, that's a very good example. And, um, I don't have a, you know, I don't have the secret sauce. If I did, then I would probably be a millionaire or a billionaire because I would probably sell it. A billionaire, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. But I think, it's, yeah, for sure. But I think it's it's all about talking to the customer. If it's uh, round tables with customers, it's it's talking to the agents. If it's talking to uh, the MGAs, um, listening to what's going on in the field, getting, you know, take get take yourself and go outside your office. Yeah, I, I I think about this so often. I'm, I'm, I was actually thinking of it as uh, as you were logging in to to this particular session because I was uh, scanning through some emails and um, I have an account that I'm working on where I don't think we're going to be able to meet the customer's budget, and so it's you know it's going to probably be a no, and th that was like so dissatisfying to me that I was immediately thinking, how else can we do this? Is there another way? Is there another yeah. approach? What else does the customer need? You know, I'm, I'm thinking that way. And, I, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I've, I've sort of no, been conditioning myself the way you've described to constantly put myself in the shoes of the customer. And I'm thinking, you know, do they need a flood policy or do they need something bigger? And flood is just a small component. And maybe there's another way or and you brought up at the beginning and maybe there's another service i can provide that can get us over the finish line where it's you know not just what the broker is asking for maybe there's something deeper yeah exactly this is exactly what i mean i think that's part of the reason i don't think that 
um, the brokers and agents will uh, disappear. Mm-hmm. They will probably, because a lot of the times when you buy insurance, as you said, you always think about, I mean, I don't need this. I do need this. I want a price that can, you know, accommodate my needs. Um, it can be too pricey. And I mean, when you, when we're talking about digitizing the purchasing process, it means that you're buying off the shelf. You're buying a policy that is, um, you know, already being made. But if you need something unique, then you probably go to a professional. And this professional will always be your broker or your agent because they will know how to provide you a service that is tailor-made to your needs. So, I, you know, there's a lot of conversation about customer engagement and how insurers will uh, improve customer engagement engagement with technology, but I think it's going to be a hybrid of, you know, the agents and the insurers together to create an ecosystem that will allow the customer to get more out of their insurance uh, policies, insurance as a service. Yeah. What's the, what's the broker ecosystem like in Israel? I know uh, for InsurTex, my friends in Europe pretty much swear that there's a possibility that brokers can be significantly disrupted from the marketplace. I think in the UK, the bulk of auto is purchased online. Like you don't even, more, more auto is purchased without the help of a broker yeah. than with, with a broker. It seems like the European market's a little bit different. What's it like in Israel? Well, the Israeli market um, is a little less digitalized, as you may think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're really good at exporting technology, but not very good at importing it in or actually, you know, harnessing our own technology. Um, Here, we purchase insurance, auto insurance online most of the time. But if you want to purchase life insurance or health insurance, most cases you'll buy it from a broker. Um, brokers here are very strong, and I think that your friend is absolutely right um, in terms of disrupting the brokers, but I don't think they'll be excluded out. They're probably going to shift, they're going to have a pivot, and going to provide other services, as I said, you know, more yeah. on the customer engagement, more on, on the tailor-made kind of uh, policies, especially if we're talking about, you know, uh, commercial insurance and life insurance. Uh, where there are different flavors and different needs, and you need to create something that a lot of the time something that is unique. Um, here in Israel, there are a lot of brokers. We even the brokers have their own digital channels. So a lot of the times you buy from a broker, but you you buy you buy it online, but you're actually buying it from a broker. Yeah. Um, it's a complex world here in Israel because it's a small industry. There are only five insurers here. Because there's only 8.5 million Israelis, so we don't need that much uh, insurance. <laughs> yeah. So there are only five insurers, and a lot of them own the agencies, the broker agencies. Yeah. So it's so a, it's a weird situation. Yes. Yeah. Um, accelerators and incubators. You're a mentor for one, yeah. and you had mentioned how many exist in Israel, which is like almost an obscene number considering the population size. It really goes to show you the the level of entrepreneurship that's occurring there. 
um, what are the benefits of, of an accelerator or an incubator and who should consider one? Uh, well, two years back, if you would have asked me the same question, I would have said, well, if you're an early stage startup and, and you want to get, you know, started and you don't know um, how to create your product offering, how to, you know, create your MVP, then I would probably tell you to go to, to an accelerator. Nowadays, you see a lot of startups that are not early stage or in their growth stage going to accelerators. And I think, for example, the Hartford Insurance Department is a really good example for that one. Um, you see that um, a lot of startups that already have clients, already earning money, they join the, the, the hub because they know that an accelerator or a hub is a really good way to expand your network, to have a roundtable with executives from the industry so they'll help you craft your product. And uh, it's a really good way to, you know, get a really good advice, either from other entrepreneurs or mm -hmm. from executives. So did, did you actually just say that you know of uh, companies that have been financed that still decided to go into an accelerator? Like they, they yeah, still found value? Yeah, of course. Interesting. Look at the last... Uh, the last um, cycle of the Hartford Insurance Tech Hub, and you'll mm -hmm. see that some of the companies there were already fund funded so with seed rounds. But yeah, yeah, no, that, it, I think I, that things were changing, especially in the insurance tech industry, because in the insurance tech you need a long runway, and you need to be very precise, and you need to learn this industry very well before you actually can offer your product, and I think it's specifically for the insurance industry, going to, to an accelerator, that's the best thing you can do for a company. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting really high on them. Um, I'm also thinking, does it make sense? Uh, there's so many accelerators. And considering what you just said about uh, you know, seed funding companies then going into accelerator, does it make sense to do multiple accelerators or multiple incubators? Actually, I've seen a lot of startups do that. I think that there is value to it, but you need to make sure that the price isn't high enough because a lot of accelerators, especially those that are owned by technology companies, they try to enforce you to embrace their technology in terms of infrastructure. So if you want to do that, just make sure that you're not paying a price that is uh, too high. Yeah. For example, switching from one cloud server to the other. <laughs> we did that. That that was uh, that was the price to pay. So it was. Uh, I, I I completely understand what you're just saying. It was. Yeah. It was just like, oh, if you want to be part of this, we'll you know we'll give you a fifty thousand dollar discount, but you need to switch cloud services. <laughs> And it was what like, at, at the time, at the time, it was just like, it was too good an offer to pass up because cloud services are fairly expensive. So it was like, yeah. well, we just saved $50,000. I hope that doesn't come back to bite us, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> so Karen, this is the part of the podcast where I transition over to ask you a couple of personal questions, uh, give the audience a flavor of who you are. Um, and it, because I'm lazy, I'm trying to learn something from you as well and, uh, have you do some of my research, 
but a question I ask all my guests are, mm -hmm. uh, what tools do you use to stay productive and or organized? Any technology well, tools or any, any uh, methodology organizational tools you use? I don't think I'm the best example. I'm uh, very organized, but the way that I do it is by memorizing all my tasks. I don't really use technology to do it. And sometimes I buy post-it in different colors and, you know, <laughs> classify my tasks to different colors. And then you just put it on, on my desk, put it on my, uh, on my laptop. Um, so, <laughs> so you have, you have a rain, you have a rainbow on your desk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, you just, the rainbow of, of post-it is just for the hard times when you're like super, uh, super busy. But most of the time, I just memorize my task, which is not that good because sometimes, you know, you get to forget stupid things like I was supposed to pick up a, a friend of my uh, son's from, from uh, kindergarten and forgot, which Ooh. was a very story. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Sorry. I'm, if you're listening, um, <laughs> really sorry, kids' mom. Really. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, okay, well, let's see. Let's check your memory then. Go all the way back to uh, childhood, if possible. What books have been influential in your business or personal lives? Well, um, you know, I I think that the most influential one, for sure, without a doubt, was I'll start with the lecture. I, I watched Cheryl Sandberg's uh, lecture on TED. A few years back, later on, I read her book, Lean In. Um, it really changed the way uh, I look at myself in the mirror, to be honest. I, um, before this lecture, I used to hide behind my laptop. I was very comfortable behind my screen. I didn't go to conferences. I didn't really, you know, mingle in the industry. Around two years ago, I, after reading her book, I decided to, as she says in her book, to, um, she said to leave your arm, uh, to raise your arm, keep it up, and uh, don't leave the table. So I decided not to leave the table and keep my arm up. It means that participate and keep, you know, expressing your own opinion. And, you know, I go to conferences ever since. I try to talk to people from the industry, try to learn from people. I try to uh, expand my network. And even now, you know, uh, interviewing for a podcast, if you would have asked me to do this two years ago, I probably would have said no. Uh, and now I'm, I'm doing this and having a wonderful time. You, uh, <laughs> not, not, only, not only that, you're... Uh... I had to convince you that uh, you were going to be in front of thousands of people. So that was, uh, that's, that's always uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't remind me. <laughs> uh, there was no better way I wanted to spend a really cold Friday uh, than talking InsureTech and FinTech, uh, the Israeli startup scene, uh, and, and what a good way to finish. Um, what, what a strong, positive message, uh, male or female, regardless of who you are, ra raise your hand, participate. Um, I, I couldn't have, I, I don't think that's a better way to 
end this. It's, it's something I try to instill in all of uh, my colleagues, my coworkers, uh, people I talk to. If you, you know, perhaps there is a glass ceiling, perhaps there are limitations, but you never know until you kick and scream and you raise your hand and you just refuse to leave the table. So I really, I really love that message. Thank you so much for coming on to Profiles and Risk and talking That's my about pleasure. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have an awesome weekend. My guest this week has been Karen Gava, and uh, we talked about InsureTech and FinTech. And if you get a chance, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. I'm pointing down. Uh, Like, thumbs up. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a rating. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much.